Good morning, Interweb. Welcome back to the Artifact Scene podcast. In this month's admittedly rather short episode, we chat about silly English place names, Bill's cameo on the TV show Vikings, do some Jade City follow-up, call for a new term for worldbuilding, hear about an offer of support in Lansk, and check out some Bank of Artifactia contributions. All that, plus lots more, in this month's episode. Also, hello and good night, John. It's so hard to start the show, Bill, do you know that? You'd like to attend to a personal matter? Uh, I, I would like to attend to a personal matter, but, but before I do that, like I put it on myself to open the show, like I open every single show, and it occurs to me like, that was a terrible decision, I should have just given it to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're in a thing now, you gotta keep it up. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Uh, personal matter. Um, I want to say hi uh, to my future father-in-law, uh, whose name is John. Uh, and the reason why I want to do this is because uh, it came as a complete shock to me. Um, I was chatting to him and he was saying that he listens to us, to this podcast, to fall asleep. Or rather, he listens to podcasts to fall asleep. And every so often we're in the queue <laughs> and he will just like be in his ears uh, during the night. So I'd like to think that like our our like world building uh, agit prop is invading his brain as he sleeps. It's just like assimilating into him. Um, so I just want to say hi, John. And I think it's great. John's like, John's wonderful. I, I just think it's so funny that like he has no interest in moral building or any of this thing at all. But out of kind of support for me, I guess, uh, he has the show in his feed. And I think that's so cute. So hi, John. Um, you're the best of nerds. <laughs> Thank you, Admiral, and sleep tight. <laughs> oh, the Admiral, that's right. <laughs> I think that's how um, the Navy works. Yeah, that's above captain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're presumably captains. Their dads are admirals. That's just logical. That's it. Well, nepotism, you know. Yeah. Um, no. Is there anything above admiral? What's like the ultimate rank? Uh, I mean, th- then it becomes more like a political office. So, like mm. in the UK, you've got like the first lord of the admiralty. John, the first lord of the admiralty. That's not bad. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think in Ireland it would just be like the Minister for Defence. That's that's less fun. That's less it's, fun. It's less grand sounding. It, it, English English political um, nomenclature is extremely fun sometimes. Um, it's really bombastic and grand sounding, and I really enjoy it. They they know how to do they know how to do uh, ridiculous names for things. Yeah, yeah, and all their place names are ridiculous as well. I love going to London. And just like getting on the tube, and then I go to like Cockfosters, and you're like, lol. <laughs> I've always liked Canada Water. What's that about? Canada Walker. Canada Water. Canada Water. Wow. Yeah, it's a part of London, and I don't know why it's called that. It's just kind of a. I've never been there. An before. Interesting name. Hmm. I could look it up, I suppose. London place names, absolutely nuts. So yeah, hi John. <laughs> First actual point of follow-up. Um, Bill, we discussed the last day, we were talking the last day about uh, Vikings, the, the TV show. Um, and you had mentioned uh, Lodi's many years ago that uh, you were in Vikings as an extra. Certainly was. Um, and you had said that you were in episode eight, Sacrifice. Now, as it so happens, uh, we were on episode six, the day we did the last recording. So I have since watched episode eight sacrifice and myself and the captain were keeping an eagle eye out for you and i think 
I found you. So I sent you a picture. This is going to be in the show notes. It'll be on the okay. chapter art. I think this is you. You said you were staring up at a statue of Odin in Uppsala. And we played that scene over and over and over again. And that this is the only character that seems to fit your physical makeup. I believe this is you. Can you confirm? I can confirm mm. that that is me. Yes, that's so cool. So I have a question about this. I have a question about this. Yeah. What was, they put you in costume. What was mm-hmm. it like wearing the costume and was it like accurate? Do you know, like, was it an actual like armor sort of thing or was it like fake stage props? What did it feel like? Uh, I mean, this is nearly a decade ago. So she's okay. more than a decade ago, I think. Um, well, just boot up that RAM, man. Come on. Um... <laughs> I don't know, like, we just went to a big warehouse um, where, just, where they did all the production and all the, the props and things, and we got fitted for it. Um, I have an idea that's the idea of studded leather is ahistorical, to be honest. Well, you're saying that it is historical or it's ahistorical? Ahistorical. Ahistorical. Yeah. Um, so I guess, if because that kind of looks like what I'm wearing there. I'm wearing a, a sort of a leather big bulky leather vest thing with with metal dots in it um so i think it is probably not um very accurate um mm-hmm. but it was you know it was reasonably comfortable <laughs> it was fine and how long were you uh, tell me more about, about being on set because this is fascinating i know no one else who has been in a film before um what how long were you on set for um i think we did three days Wow. At that shoot. And they were meant to be eight hours and they ran over on at least two of the days, maybe all three. Um, and so kind of the the period that I was in the shot, that I, that I was on the set for is, it's a good chunk of the episode. It's like kind of maybe 20 minutes of the episode. Um and there was actually probably I don't know it's, it's even more if, if I remember the episode clearly, because um, we did some of the night scenes as well, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was actually really well paid, um, especially with the overtime because the the rates went up hugely when 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 the 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 shoot ran over, um, hmm. so it was quite pretty well paid, um, and it was just kind of good crack, just kind of sitting around in the forest. Um, hanging out and occasionally we'd have to like act a certain way because there we might be on camera um, and in general we were just kind of chatting to the other extras and, and hanging out and having a good time um, could, could could one make a living as being an extra? You say it's good well paid, if you kept picking up these gigs could that be your job? I reckon if you did it constantly it would be okay now I mean I said, I said it was really well paid again this was a decade ago before I you know um had to worry about money things the way I do now. Um, sure, sure. And, you know, I was paying a lot less in rent and things. Um, but as I recall, yeah, like it, it would be hard, I think, to do it full time. Um, it would be quite draining. Mm. Uh, and it would be difficult to get consistent work with it. Sure. But, and- uh, yeah, I mean, it was. I, th- I think you could you could certainly do pretty well on it. And did you come into contact with uh, any of the main actors at all? Um, a little bit, yeah. Uh, hmm. Like, we, not not directly. Um, so, 
Uh, oh no, I had a, I had a chat with the kid who played uh, Bjorn Ironside, like Ragnar's no you know, way. The, the blonde, blonde son. Yeah. Um, cool. He, he was a nice young chap. Um, and uh, George Blagden um, seemed like a really nice dude. And apparently uh, he is. He's just a lovely guy. That's Athelstan. That's Athelstan. Okay. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the priest that they kidnap. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like the monk or whatever he is. Uh, he's, he, he seemed like a, a really kind of just sound down to earth regular dude. Um, and uh, I think he is generally regarded to be that you know, f- from other stories and uh, by mm-hmm. fans and things. Uh, that was kind of it. I don't really remember. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't talk to George Blagden. I just remember kind of him hanging out and being cool and being nice to the extras and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was a good experience. And is there anything, final question, um, mm-hmm. is there any sort of like behind the scenes acting things that you can elucidate on? Because I've always been fascinated uh, as to like how competent uh, of a reader an actor is. Um like how many takes do they need to take? How like do they often forget lines? Like have they memorized the full script for the whole day? Did you notice anything like that? Like were all the high paid main actors just like beating through the script, or was it constant? Like, no, Bob, it's this is Uppsala, not this is Uppsala. Do you know? Um, I don't remember there being a lot of uh, retakes. Because of actor mistakes. Wow, that always strikes me as fascinating. Because, like, uh, I can, like, it's, I, I get the impression it's hard enough to memorize a full play, but to memorize like a TV show seems mad. Because, uh, or at least the way I, I understand it, it's not a sequential thing. Like, you don't just start and go. Like, you do, like, oh, we're going to shoot like the end of the episode now, and then we'll shoot the middle, and then the beginning. Right. And, yeah. You know, so that would, I would imagine, that would mess with your head something serious and then i've never, as never well, thought about that yeah and as well uh being able to like emote correctly um to be like you know you've just lost your son uh you say the director says to the actor but sure the actor hasn't acted the part where he's lost the son so it's kind of yeah. like that must be so tricky and i always just assume the tv actors and film actors will just need constant retakes because of the the choppy nature that it is filmed in or at least that the impression i get is that it's filmed in a very choppy nature um, yeah. So that strikes me as surprising, Bill, that you didn't notice that. That's that's mad. Oh, again, maybe I've just forgotten, but I don't I don't think so. Hmm. Competent actors. Who would have thought thunk it, eh? <laughs> um but Bill and Vikings, that's so, so cool. That is just awesome. And I'm so glad I found you. Um <laughs> Okay. Now uh next point of follow-up is Jade City. Mm-hmm. Um last month we reviewed Jade City. Um and in the chat. Uh, the live chat for the podcast, you made an offhanded comment about uh, the monopoly on violence in Jade mm-hmm. City, which if I think, if I am uh, on the same, um, what's what I'm looking for? If I'm thinking the same as you here, I think this is a really interesting comment. So I'd like you to elucidate on this. What do you mean by, uh, what's your take on the monopoly on violence in the book Jade City? Uh, so the monopoly on violence is, is the, kind of a concept that the state are the only entity that can permit violence or that can commit violence and can be permitted to commit violence. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're not supposed to be violent, uh, but the, the police 
can use force and the army can use force. Mm. Um, and in Jade City, in the, the setting presented there, that is not the case because there's a, there is a state and there is police and, and military. Um, but also the, the clans, the Jade clans are, or the Greenborn clans rather, are kind of, they exist parallel and separate to that, that they uh, have the the ability to commit violence as well and that they're not prosecuted by the state for that. And it, it's kind of a parallel system. Um, so it's kind of, it, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting setup in that it's it's like it's like something quite historical, you know. In in medieval and, and Renaissance Europe, there wasn't a single focus of power in a society. There was the the state or whatever, but there was also guilds and there was also the church, um, mm-hmm. and that is kind of like the situation we have here. That there is the state power, but also the Greenbone clans. They're part of the country, but they are a little bit outside that structure and that hierarchy. Uh, which is unusual to see in a, in a modern style setting. Yeah, I did not pick up on that at all. But the minute you dropped that comment in the chat, I was like, yeah, that is that is so true. That is a great uh, bit of insight there. Um, I, um, I would dispute you slightly on the, I think you said something to the effect there of um, the state in Jade City kind of, like there's a share of this monopoly on violence. Um, I know that's oxymoronic, but, but you know, um, yeah. uh, but the, as far as I remember, it's, it's made explicit that the state is like violentless, um, because there's this one, I can't remember, there's one paragraph where they mentioned that like police basically don't do any violence. They just are glorified traffic cops who ticket people. So I, I think the yeah the it's not uh, I would read it less of a share and more as the monopoly is um, the clans hold the monopoly and the state is kind of like a diplomatic wing a diplomatical a diplomatic and like logistics wing of 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 KCON um, and the clans are kind of like they're the military um, and then you're operating uh, on behalf of outside of the state it's kind of it is kind of weird. Um, um, well, like, you know, they, they still, they investigate murders, right? The police will do that. Um, and then a murderer, if they're found guilty, you know, there are courts. And then if the murderer is found guilty, they will go to jail. So they are preventing violence in that sense. And also they, they, okay, they are yeah. using force. They, they have the power to enforce those laws. So that still kind of is, is part of the concept of the monopoly of violence. We, we're going to get we're going to get uh, demonetized again for saying the word violence over and over again. But uh, here we are. Um, mm-hmm. This harkens back to ages ago. We had our talk about Gandhi um, mm-hmm. and his uh, his views on violence. And his uh, I think his famous quote was "Poverty is the worst form of violence." Um, yeah. and, and I remember saying uh, in that episode that I really need to drop the idea that violence means punching someone, mm-hmm. <laughs> that like violence is a much more um, subtle thing and acts of violence aren't necessarily physical. Um, so yeah, so in that respect, yes, the police like do do violence um, under a broader definition in KCON. Um, yeah. So I, I agree with you there. Yeah, sorry, I was a bit... And I, like they, I, they do they do have, have like, you know, armed police to, to a point as well and... Um, as as uh, 
as I said, like it, that, that's the, the, the violence does mean things other than just the, the punching. Yeah. Yeah, but I, again, I guess I took the armed police to be somewhat like, um, I guess, you know, those guards outside Buckingham Palace. Um, yeah. Like, don't they hold guns? Uh, and I'm pretty sure no one of them have ever discharged any sort of gun at all. Um, so I took it more of as kind of like a, yeah. a symbolic thing or, or I guess maybe harkening back to a time when the state had more power in KCON. But that's, that's still a projection of force and it's still well, yeah, yeah, like that they, they are empowered to use it if they need to, you know? Yeah, yeah. They can, they can whip out the muskets if need be. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a really, really good point and definitely worth putting uh, in the show. Um, all right. That is Jade City. Uh, final thing. This isn't really follow up. This is just like musings, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I would like, I've been thinking about this for a while. I think we need a new term for world building. And I want to see what you think. World uh, building. Wor- yes, world building. Yeah, well, excluding that for a second, because that's already taken. Um, I want to see what you think about this and if you have any suggestions. Um, the reason why I say this is that because um, it's it's pretty clear that there are many different types of world building. And I think usually when people go, like if there's a film review and like the world building is very solid in this, um, it's referring to a very dis- a distinctly different thing than what I do on my channel. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's world building to serve an artistic work, to serve a narrative, to serve, to give a, a vessel for characters to exist in. Whereas what I do on the channel, um, is world building as like model train set. Like <laughs> I'm just building a model train set for the sake of building a model train set because it's fun. I'm building a world for the sake of building a world because it's fun. And that, that is the goal. And the goal is not to have a narrative or a work of art or um, anything like that. And they're two very different things because, you know, um, in the context of the former, um, what I do would be very bad world building because I'm spending literal years or, or actually to narrow it down, literal months just like figuring out the shape of land masses because I find evolution to be quite, uh, geo, geological evolution to be quite interesting. Like that's insane if you're writing a novel. Like Sanderson would look at that and be like, that's bad world building. Like when are you <laughs> going to write the book? Um, whereas, and then the, the reverse would be like, I would find the world building one needs to do for a book to be... Um, not that interesting to, uh, to me because it's not like the full model train set, you know? Um, you don't have a history, a deep time history necessarily and, and things like that. So I think there needs to be a different term so that people know like, okay, this is uh, like, I guess, narrative world building and this is like world building for world building's sake. Um, and I, I really struggle to come up with a term. Like I really do want there to be a new term. The two ones that I love but I can't take because someone else has them is Imagineering. Uh, Disney has a monopoly on that one. I think that's a great term. Um, just doing imaginative things for the sake of it. Um, and then the other one is Fictioneering, um, which Lycan has taken much to my chagrin um, because th- I think that is the perfect term for this. It's just creating a fiction, a fictitious world. Um, and, According to Google, the term fictioneering has negative connotations, like of low quality work, um, under some definitions that I found on Google. And I really, I would really like the idea of reclaiming that to be like, um, it's not low quality; it's like excessive detail sort of thing. Um, and it, it it ties into the idea of like in the context of an author, 
what I would be doing would be extremely low quality, like not fit for purpose. So the term fictioneering would be so good, but again, Lycan has it. Um, someone on the Patreon suggested world smithing um, to tie in with the, with the spreadsheet, but I don't know. I need a term, and none of none of the ones I can think of uh, work. And the ones that I think do work are taken. Um, so I want to ask you <laughs> any suggestions. And uh, do you think this is even uh, a valid thing to to want? It's all of your wants are valid, Edgar. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> um, I'm I'm googling here. There's there's a word that I've seen applied to to Middle Earth. Um, I'm trying to oh. poke around here. Here they are. Legendarium is the 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 body of of Tolkien's work in Lord of the Rings, um, and mythopoic mm. or mythopoeia, which means myth making. Mythopoeia seems mm, yeah they they seem a little kind of artsy for the for the the kind of the thing you're going for. They they seem a little bit more like the making stories. They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah, so and and the ones that came to mind. Mythopoeia, I would automatically uh, yeet. Um, legendarium, I guess, but like then you'd have like I am legendaring dariuming, <laughs> and it's just the mouthfeel is just completely wrong in that one. Because um, part, I think part of the thing about inventing a new term is that it's got to have good mouthfeel. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it, it would like never take off. Like has got a great mouthfeel. Like, <laughs> thanks, Bill. <laughs> Bill with the Bill with the compliments left, right, and center today. I love it. My my, my ego has been thoroughly massaged. <laughs> You're my buddy, man. <laughs> um, but that's it. Yeah, that's uh, not considered those. But I I can't say I'm enamored. Yeah, no, that that's fair. They were just kind of the the, the initial ones as a jumping off point. Um, let me think. Imagineering. There's there's something brewing at the back of my head. I'll mull on it. I'll mull on it and get back to you. Cool. Uh, and listeners, if you have any suggestions, let me know. Um, because, yeah. And I, cause I, I, uh, sorry, I'm kind of reiterating things I've already said. But um, I get, I do get comments every so often being like, what is the point? Like, why are we doing this? Um, so I kind of feel like if there was a different term, people would take it, um, would, would place it in a different context, you know? Um which which would be really useful, um, but yeah, fictioneering man, oh, oh, so good. Damn you, Lycan. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, that's all the things I had to uh, say and follow up on. Have you got anything else to add? Uh, follow up wise, I don't believe so. All right, so this is we're back to a standard episode. So I believe we have world building incoming. No, we certainly do. World building. Yes. What do you got for us? I have a uh, an update on events in Lansk. Mm, very good. Baron, allow me to summarize the current condition of the city. The occupation of the old tower and surrounding district has lasted months now, and the bailiff's attempts to reclaim the region from the self-appointed popular executive have ground to a halt. The area of the city abandoned to the agitators 
is no smaller than on the day they struck with violence at Lansk's ancient heart. Not a street nor building was reclaimed without them elsewhere further expanding the reach of their barricades. Every victory of the legitimate authorities was swiftly reversed or countered by an agitator's coup. Worse, the greatest reclamation of territory was not at the hands of the bailiffs, but by the actions of a mob. Desperate citizens, no doubt civil in normal circumstances, but driven to violence by the occupation's affront to good Abeski sensibilities and business. In a single day, they reclaimed a row of houses and a compound of yards, more than all the bailiff's combined actions has achieved in all these months. This protracted siege has shown no signs of success, and as long as the Arthani are supplying them, and those within are content, this stalemate will continue. Baron, do not mistake this letter as an admonishment of your service. You have found yourself in an unenviable position. The popularity of the bailiffs is at a nadir. Even those without agitated sympathies are distrustful after these last few months. Those within the seized district are fed comfortably on Arthani supplies, while many of those without are starving and prevented from attending to their work. Despite the agitators' cynical, empty promises of safe passage for the groundsfolk, surely they knew you would have to prevent such traffic and be reckoned at fault for the ensuing misery of the destitute workers denied their fair wage. We and the companies are suffering from similar perceptions. After the regrettable riot whipped up by Yathara and the demands of the agitators to remove the companies from municipal affairs, your reluctance to engage us further is understandable. In other circumstances, it would even be prudent. Your initial capitulation to the occupiers was necessary, that is undeniable, but the time has come to put an end to their reign of anarchy. I wish Lansk restored to peace and prosperity, and I urge you to use all means at your disposal to see this feat completed. To this end, I would place myself and the assets of the Tamar Company at your disposal once more. Having consulted with the Eastern Office, I can confirm I am able to offer you the assistance of any power the bailiffs require. The fee will be merely nominal. The restoration of order to the city and resumption of trade is more valuable to us than simple currency. We have the troops to occupy reclaimed streets, the supplies and arms for your own bailiffs, and agents placed in the surrounding districts to provide intelligence. We are equipped to deal with the batteries in the occupied area, and we have means to disrupt the Arthani vessels that supply them. As a friend, Baron, if I may be granted the presumption of considering myself your friend, I urge you to heed this advice and accept this offer. I consider you a confidant, Baron, as trustworthy an acquaintance as I have in this city, and I will not mislead you. From one Misviri to another, your position as Chief Bailiff will no longer be tenable should this agitation continue. Lansk can ill afford it. Indeed, the spires as a whole shall be shaken and cast down if this affront is allowed to continue unpunished. Allow me to place myself at your disposal for all of our sakes. I await your reply. Your ally, Dajag Tashansha, Commander, Tamar Company, Lansk Depot. All right. We are back in Lansk. Back in Lansk. Um, back back in Lansk. Um, two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, general summary. And then two, uh, given that it's been, it must be now, what, 
a month or two since we've done world building. About three. About three. Uh, I think it's definitely worth a recap of the characters involved. Sure. So, uh, general summary. So, um, you may remember a good few episodes ago, um, I had, uh, it was in the episode, The, D- the Defenestrations of Lansk. Um, <laughs> I wrote a piece called Declaration on the Barricades, uh, which was a list of demands by protesters who took over part of the city of Lansk, uh, specifically the area around the Old Tower. Um, and we're calling for an end to kind of company influence on a Besky culture and their kind of indirect control of the cities and of the civilization. Um, and after that, we heard from a recurring villain, Yar Tejartlin, um, that uh, members of his family had been killed in the clashes where these agitators overtook um, the Old Tower district. Mm-hmm. This is taken up a few months later. Uh, the siege is still underway. The, the occupiers still have control of the tower and of the district. Uh, the bailiffs, who are like the kind of municipal force of the city, the, the kind of city government, um, have been unable to uh, find a solution or find a, a resolution to this conflict. Uh, one of the demands made by the agitators was the removal of the companies from municipal duties so no longer using private uh power for peacekeeping and and and, and uh civic functions uh, and so they have been in control of this area for a while and this letter is from the local commander of the tamar company asking um chief uh, bailiff baron to eintoff to once again uh, employ the company to restore order and to get rid of the protesters. Okay. Okay. And actually you did a good job there actually reintroducing uh, some of the main characters. That's cool. Um, so I'm, I'm confused slightly, Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost certainly me thing and not a you thing. But so in Nansk, the mm-hmm. companies are being used as uh, a police keeping force or like they're, they're the military wing, right? The, yeah, so like not they they are private, but they are they are yeah. hired in to, to do those kind of roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the siege is still occurring, and it appears to me that the companies aren't doing much to stop that because this mm-hmm. letter seems to imply that uh, Dejag Deshencha is like Bowron, please come and use us, mm-hmm. and I'm like, why would Bowron? not use us like the and you said that the agitators one of their demands is to decouple the companies from way of life it feels like Bowron's done that and now the companies are like no no we need you need to use us because it's going nowhere so what's what what's going on what am i misreading here is Bowron attempting to give in to demands but it's just going terribly because of that like what's the, the dynamics here um, so he was kind of forced into doing that by the, the outrage of, of what happened. Um, he, so like th- th- this, th- they, th- they took over the district and one of their demands was that the, uh, the companies be removed from their, from their work for the city and fearing further uprising in an attempt to placate it, 
uh, right. placate the agitators and stop you know, increased violence, um, he did so. Okay, and and do I take it then that's the reason why this siege is ongoing because they're lacking the military power of the companies. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay, okay, I see, I see. Um, and uh, okay, so the you have a quote here, uh, second paragraph. Um, mm-hmm. Despite the agitators' cynical, empty promises of safe passage for the groundsfolk, surely they knew you would have to prevent such traffic and be reckoned at fault for the ensuing misery of the destitute workers denied their fair for fair wage. Mm-hmm. Um, why uh, would this be the case? Like, why I, I'm tr- I, I struggle to understand why Bowerin wouldn't just allow safe passage. Is it a case of like? If he did that, people would go over to the other side and be like, God, it's actually really great over here. We should totally stay here. And then there's more rebellion on his hands. Is that what's going on? Partially that. Also to prevent um, supplies and things being more easily uh, smuggled in. Um, to prevent communication between those within. Or to make you know more difficult communication between those within and those outside. Oh, well, okay. It's kind of a okay, siege okay. sort of situation. So they're... they're, they're they're reluctant to allow things to just go ahead as normal um, to try and put pressure on the on the protesters and the, the agitators. I see, I see. And then further down sense? you have... Yes, yes, it does, yeah. Um, further down you have, your initial capitulation to the occupiers was necessary, that is undeniable, but the time has come to put an end to their reign of anarchy. Um, do I... Uh, you, the author... Um, what do you think, um, n- you know, not, not in, um, what's the word you, uh, we've used before? Diegetically. Di- diegetically, not diegetically, just your opinions on this. Um, is that the correct play that he, that it was, uh, the correct play was to capitulate, pull out the companies to prevent further, uh, rebellion? Is that the, did Bowron make a correct analysis of the situation there? Or do you think that if Bowron had just held the companies and squashed the rebellion, uh, quickly, um, and quietly, maybe then we might be in a better place from the perspective of the Ibeski or the best the, the Ibeski powers to be. Um, well, it wouldn't have been quietly. It would have been very, very publicly. It would have been a sig- significant escalation of violence. Oh, I guess um, quickly more than anything else. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, they they would have been able to get back in control, but it would have been risky because the. Um, the the agitators had control of like anti aircraft batteries within the district that they took over, um, and were you know seemed willing to use them. So it would have been significant um, amounts of violence in doing so, both uh, against the agitators, against civilians, and the the bailiffs and companies. Um, it probably would have been successful, um, and they would have resumed. Uh, overt control but it may have been damaging in terms of the perception of the legitimate authorities and the companies do you think so god i would have i would have read such a situation as um anyone who is uh on the side of the companies or say on the fenced fence would look at the restoration of order as being a net good you know, even if yeah. it's extremely violent, but it's kind of like, ah, okay, so the boils came back in, they trashed up the gaff, they killed, murdered uh, all of the agitators, but at least I can go to work again. Go them, 
I want those those chaps ruling over us. That's how I think a lot of people would. I don't really yeah, see the risk lot, in it. A, a lot of a lot of the people who aren't um, in positions of power would then maybe have seen that the the violence that they were willing to use and the the brutality that they were capable of. And they, they could have suffered in public perceptions that way. And, and Baron is smart enough to realise that. <sighs> yeah. I, I mean, obviously that, that has to be the case because you wrote the thing, but I just feel like Bowron here, like the, the call for Bowron was to go full fash and he just didn't go full fash. And if you don't go full fash, you're kind of in a no man's land here. Like I, I feel like sure. his position yeah. currently, yeah, his position currently is crap because his position currently is that he has a bunch of rebels in his territory and he has um, sidelined his allies in the company. So he's in this, like, incredibly crap no-man's land. Um, so I don't know, like, I, again, obviously the way you see things is correct because he wrote the thing. Um, but I feel like mistakes have been made here. Uh, oh, and yeah, I feel sure. like... Sure, but like, I, like, not everyone makes the right decisions all the no, time. No, I, I know, but I, we're, and we're just discussing those things because otherwise, yeah. if it was just if it was just very uh, cut and dry, it'd be like, all right, great, well, 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 well cool, like, see you next month, you know. Um, uh, and I guess this leads on to the, the this line here, this quote you have: um, the fee for having the companies come back uh, will be merely nominal. The restoration of order to the city and the resumption of trade is more valuable to us than simple currency. So. I totally see from the company's perspective that mm-hmm. the restoration of trade and uh, restoration of order is a good thing for them. Uh, and I, I can read it that the nominal fee will actually be nominal. But I wonder, given that you do like your um, double-edged sword type things, um, I wonder if that fee may not be so nominal because as punishment uh, to Bowerin for sidelining them. And there's a lot in that you've written which either can be seen as sincere or veiled threats. Um, like, from one mere sphere to another, your position as chief bailiff will no longer be tenable should this agitation occur. That can be like, hey, I'm ca- I care for you and what we have built, or mm-hmm. I'm threatening you. So I wonder, is this nominal fee thing in there? Did you intend that to be coded for like, you're going to pay the price for ousting us? Or is this, do I take it on face value? Um... I didn't no, I didn't intend that as a threat. Um it's it's more kind of cajoling. It's it's kind of like, you know, you're in a bad position and we are your allies, you can trust us. Um how much they can be trusted is is up for debate. But the there there isn't kind of a I wasn't intending for there to be a veiled threat there. Okay. It, it, throughout throughout the rest of it, though, are there veiled threats? Like that that quote in the last paragraph, the your position as chief bailiff is no longer tenable. Because that reads to me like weaponized politeness. Uh, I think he's coming at it more like these are some hard truths that you need to be told. Okay. And I am okay. I am I am telling you these outright because I respect you. That's what he's trying to be like. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Again, I think this is a testament to your writing that there are many, many ways in which you can interpret this. Um, like, I don't feel my interpretation of weaponized politeness is invalid. I think sure. you can totally read that into this. Totally. Sure. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, I suppose that that's that's my notes. I suppose the final thing I'll ask is, where do you uh, see this going? 
again, not as the author, but just put yourself in the in the mind of like someone commenting on this, like a reviewer of this work. What do you think? Where do you think it is going to go? I think that he probably will return to the companies uh, in an effort to save his own position. Mm. Um, and that things have not, he, he has tried the, he will justify it as he's tried the, the, the route of uh, appeasement and um, paying attention to their demands, but that hasn't worked. And, you know, Oh, you know these poor people who who are outside and they they can't they can't um, make their living anymore. We you know we need to do it for them. Um, so I, I reckon I reckon more violence is is on the horizon. Do you see any sort of situation where the agitators win out? Um, in in this specific scenario, uh, I think it will be very difficult. Like, in, okay. as regards the occupation of Lansk, I think it will be extremely difficult. Okay, because, you know, we could get some, um, if we were to draw on Irish history a little bit, you, we can get some divided city vibes here, um, where you have, like, you know, analogies to Derry um, back in the Troubles. Uh, just Wikipedia this, folks. I don't want to go explain the whole shebang. Um, but, yeah, you could have, like... Um, analogs to Catholic and Protestant held areas. You can have like rebel held areas and company held areas. Cause that, that would be kind of a, a cool aesthetic um, to go for. If the, the, if the, if, if the agitators were able to hold an enclave here. Yeah. The, the th- thought that occurred to me just as we were discussing that, as you were saying that was actually more like the, the Easter rising. Um, that there's a kind of an area held um and then the the violence yep. of the the retribution uh, won people over to the sympathies of of the rebels. That's a good point. I suppose I was trying to uh, I, I'm trying to get to a place where we have a divided city because yeah. that didn't occur in the Easter Rising. Again, I'll leave links to this. Sure, I, sure, I, I, yeah. I, I really We're don't want to have to explain the entirety of Irish history, and I'll almost certainly get most of it wrong. So Wikipedia is a friend here, folks, <laughs> um, because that could be cool. I can imagine like. Um, stories i can imagine so many letters from i don't know if you're thinking this way but like uh families that have been because you know obviously when when if uh, an occupying force takes over they don't care about drawing their lines in the most equitable way they'll just draw a line on a map and be like this is our area and that can spit spit apart families etc and i could see a bunch of really cool letters being exchanged between people on opposite sides of the divide and hearing about how that takes its toll on everyday life, yeah. um, and much like in in the in the dairy example, um, eventually like some sort of straw will break the camel's back. Like you can't hold this uh, occupation um, one way or the other indefinitely, you know. And I think that could lead to really interesting trades. Whereas the Easter Rising analogy, again, I'm so sorry, anyone who doesn't know about Irish history, the Easter Rising analogy is kind of like a, a one and done sort of thing. It's like yeah. there was a rising extreme violence and then people go like wait a minute those people are bad end of whereas i think the enclave thing could set up a, a prolonged uh um period of interest for us i think mm-hmm. but I, as always like don't don't ever listen to me i'm just you know spewing stuff on the internet because it's fun um oh, yeah your 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 ideas are are welcomed no oh, thank you um did did i miss anything is there something subtle in here that 
I completely missed the point of what's going on. Uh, no, I mean, this isn't clear at all. Um, it's like you, this can't be told from the letter, I think, but the, uh, the mob that, uh, took back that, that are mentioned in, in the kind of the first big paragraph there that took back a section of the, the agitators territory, um, they were actually, uh, agents of the, the Tamar company. Oh. Kind of pro- yeah. Um, or maybe mm. like they were, they were kind of. Uh, criminals who were paid into it, or you know, some some kind of combination thereof. It was it was not a a wholly citizen led action. It's not grassroots. No, no, it was astroturfed. Astroturfed violence. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to. There's there's a fun title involving astroturf here, and I can't come to it in a in a very expedient manner. Um, I'll I'll think on it. Um, uh, yeah, you're right. There's no way from the text you'd ever pick up on that no, no I'm it's, assuming... it's not there at all but that that yeah. is that is what happened that's sneaky on their part though mm-hmm. to be like hey you really need us because of all of this trouble like a trouble that we're helping foment that's the companies say what you want about the companies the companies kind of you know are quite clever they know what they're doing here they have they certainly have a sort of cunning they do and they're never portrayed as like incompetent um they are yeah they're ruthlessly uh, cynical um, in the way they conduct themselves, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens to Bowron. I think Bowron, Bowron's reign of power is not long for this world, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. All right. World building. World building done. World building done. Um, do you know, fun story. Uh, Amber from from last episode, uh, our, our letter writing correspondent, um, mentioned about Edgar Billing. Edgar Billing, <laughs> world edgaring. <laughs> uh, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I will try and sit down uh, and write a little thing. And like, that was a fool's errand because I spent like two hours trying to write stuff. Um, and it just, yeah, again, I'm reminded that I just cannot write at all. I am the worst, the worst writer ever. Um, and I had, a, I had a relatively fun idea based on stuff that I, I want to do on the channel. And just getting it into nice prose, it's just really difficult. Like, it's really hard. Um, and, like, in my mind, I'm, I, I can see the movie of the sort of, like, cool little short story I want to tell. But conveying that is just really difficult. Um, so I say this all to as a roundabout way of complimenting you again on your just, like, every month there is world building. And it's never crap. Like there's sometimes <laughs> where I'm kind of like, it's, it's a bit dense and like, I didn't enjoy it as much as others, but like mm-hmm. it's, it's always completely fitting with the world you've constructed. And I, I envy your ability uh, to do that. So um, if you could just send me over some of those skills, that would be class. I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. Um, we have a super short green room, but I think we should uh, head into it. Let's do that. So we have only one item of follow-up or whatever, one item uh, to of put in room. the green room, of green room, and that is Bank of Artifexia, ASMR, Excellent. engaged. There we go. Um, got a whole raft of letters, and I just got a message from Customs being like, you've more letters on the way. I'm like, good God. Um, everyone held off for a period of months, and now they're all sending it at once, which is class. Um so uh, this letter comes from Emma. 
Hey guys, first of all, I love the podcast. I've been listening since the very beginning and get very ex- and get excited every time a new one drops. I'm Irish and I love when you get into a discussion about the Irish language. I'm trying to claw back a couple fuckle uh, and I appreciate the respect you have for the language. Thank you. Uh, this is Edgar talking now. Um, uh, I do have great respect and I can't speak a word of it, uh, barring a few stock phrases. And I have been trying to source like um, Irish language learning groups um, to like go to and, and get more acquainted, get reacquainted with the language, but they're just very, very hard to find. And Duolingo is trash uh, when it comes to Irish. So, um, Neil Lawn Gaelga Agam, August Tomé Brown. Um, I have two Tom back to Emma. I have you what? Tom Brown Aram. <laughs> oh, Tom Brown Aram. You're right. Oh, you see, you see. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was going to explain what I did wrong, but it doesn't matter. It's all wrong, folks. Don't listen to any Irish, I say. Um, back to Emma. I have two contributions to the Bank of Artifacts. Yeah, a five Georgian Larry um, and five Belarusian Ruble. Now, unfortunately, we just got Georgian Larry from Amber last month. Um, but Belarusian Ruble, it's a new addition to the Bank of Artifacts. Yeah. First time that's arrived, which is awesome. I got both of these while on holidays in Tbilisi. I think Emma might, in fact, be Amber here. Um, in Tbilisi, Georgia, a while back, I met a Belarusian fella there and he likes to collect currency, so he swapped euros for rubles. Georgia is an amazing country. I've never left Europe, so experiencing language and alphabet that has that was completely unrelated to those I'm familiar with was a great experience. I've never been to Belarus, so I can't comment on it, but your man I met in Georgia was really nice. Um... George and Larry is, the five George and Larry is 174. Oh, and as always, chapter art, you can see these notes. The obverse features a portrait of Georgian author. Here we go. Ivana Yavakishvili. And the reverse features details from Nico Pirosmani uh, paintings, Treshing and the Fisherman, the Red Shirt and the Coat of Arms of Georgia. In brackets, shamelessly stolen word for word mm. from Wikipedia. Uh, the Belarusian ruble, so five Belarusian ruble is 0.000185 euro. That is a depreciated currency. Um, the verse features Belea Veja uh, in Kamyanyet, um, an old tower, and the reverse, and on the reverse, a collage on the theme of the first Slavic settlements. Parentheses also stolen word for word from wikipedia love you emma we love you too emma thanks for writing in oh, cheers, that is emma that is Remind awesome us. and gurmilam <laughs> got a card yeah. uh i said that right didn't i Akara. Ah, for f- okay i hand back the passport here i'm getting my passport <laughs> here take my passport bill <laughs> um the um I am so happy with the Belarusian ruble. That is, if you go to the, the, the money map, folks, it's in the show notes. Europe is like so nearly there. Um, we have Iceland, Denmark, Hungary, plus the majority of the Balkans. But like Europe is nearly all green now, which is just awesome. Um, and like for, for our honeymoon, um, I'm planning on going to South America. And I think Bolivia is probably on the card. So Bolivia might be ticked off. Um, and depending where we fly in, I might be able to get like Argentina and things like that. So that might be really cool. So the map is like seriously coming along, like seriously, seriously coming along. I'm still waiting on North Korean currency from our one North Korean listener, but we'll get there one day. Um, so yeah, thank you, Emma. 
Um, isn't the Georgian script really pretty? It's it's so good, and and the language is really pretty as well. Like it's often held up as being because it's it's mad consonant consonant cluster heavy. Um, but if you listen to people talk, uh, again, I'll put links in the show notes. It's it's really pretty sounding, despite the alphabet soup that it would imply, uh, or the, what what the alphabet soup implies. It's a really pretty sounding language, um, and I wish I knew more about it. Um, oh, the one thing I will say on Emma's thing here is. Um, the, the comment on, I've never left Europe, so experience in language and alphabet that was completely unrelated to those I'm familiar with was a great experience. Um, just like advoca- a, a point of advocacy here to people, if at all possible, obviously this, you know, f- finance is depending. It's a good idea to get out of Europe because like it's so much cheaper everywhere else. I've talked about this before and like, you know, you might spend 600 euros, say, on a flight to Cambodia. Um, but when you're in Cambodia... You can live like a king for hardly any money. Um, whereas if you were to take like, you could easily get through 600 euro if you were to take a week in Denmark, for example. Like easily when you factor in accommodation and food costs and the cost of transport. Um, like getting out of Europe uh, is financially really, really beneficial. And I don't really understand why most people don't do this. Um, like even um, uh, John, my, my, my future father-in-law, uh, when when he was contemplating his honeymoon, they initially had went with Europe and then did a bit of digging and they realized they could just stay way longer in Thailand for way cheaper um, and went with that instead. Um, so, yeah, get out of Europe, Europeans. It's worth it. It really, really is. And it's cost effective. That's my advocacy piece. Sweet. Yeah. Um, so I've been to Zambia and I've been to South America and... Yeah, they are very expensive to get to, um, but they are definitely worth the trip. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I've told the story before about um, sitting on a beach in Indonesia and like mm. seeing the menu and being like, a meal here is like a euro. So we could just be like, we could sit here all day and eat and we'd be rid of like 10 euro. That's it. Whereas, you know, in a, in a, in a European restaurant... Um, 10 euros nothing sure like what's a big mac these days big mac meal is like what six six quid or something like that six seven quid i haven't uh, the faintest idea nor do i but i it's below a tenner it's above five or below a tenner if i recall correctly and like you know and that's crap food whereas you know you go to cheaper places it's it's all gravy nepal um i've never been to nepal but uh the captain was in nepal she did like a i guess a gap year type thing there um, and her stories of how cheap it was are insane. Like Nepal is, I think it's commonly listed as one of the cheapest countries to go to and also mm. extremely beautiful. Um, so it really is worth sinking the cost into an expensive flight just to get a more prolonged stay when you're there and to not feel the pinch of it. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, that is Bank of Arifexia. Uh Thank you so much, Emma. Um, and thanks to everyone for writing it. It is class. Oh, oh, one more thing, one more thing. I find it hilarious, right? Because um, for complicated reasons, the P.O. box, if you will, it's not really a P.O. box, but we'll call it a P.O. box for sake of simplicity. Um, the P.O. box for this show is in England um, for complicated reasons. And I find it gas that Emma here, who is from Ireland, sent a letter to England to just be sent back to Ireland. Um, I think if Irish correspondents are going to feel the pinch on that in terms of money spent because we're sending it across uh, across borders just to get it back to me. But it's the only way it works and I don't understand why on post our post service seems to have seems to just be a broken organisation. Um, but anyhow, 
that's that's a, a different rant for a different day. I think. Oh God, that's a really short show, Bill. Oh no, but that's all I got. Um, short but sweet. Short but sweet. Hopefully. Short hopefully. but sweet. Like me. Um, all right. Well, if if that is us, uh, we may as well uh, round it out. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Uh, thanks for watching. Thanks for being in chat. Thanks for supporting the show on Patreon. Y'all are just beautiful, beautiful people. We'll see you again in the very near future. Until next time. Edgar, Edgar out. Edgar out.